Welcome to another episode of Better Why Podcast, your modern day Diaz kitchen table with a bit of cheesement and less yelling on most days. What's up, y'all? We back at it again. This is CEO. Hey, everyone. Hey, friends. This is Babs, aka Brenda, aka Babs. We're back at it again, and we're excited to be here with y'all. It's been a little bit of a minute, no? Yeah, Um. But life happens. So life does happen. So tell me kind of what's been happening. Let's see. What's been happening? Honestly, I've been in like a really good space lately. Um, I think just kind of just enjoying like the fruits of my labor and uh, low-key me and Kiyoshi were like, yo, we live here. Like, you know what I, I feel like when you go in somewhere, you're like, yeah. wow, like, <laughs> girl, I, I like the realization I, kind of thing. Like, it was that. like, oh, wow. Like you didn't, re- it was like the hustle and bustle. You're like moving around and you didn't really take a minute to realize and soak it all in. Not just that, but you know, I didn't grow up in, pla- in a place like this. You know what I'm saying? So like, to me, this is like, yeah. I, it, it was, it's, it's been it's been really nice just kind of enjoying, uh, you know, um, kind of like find of, finally being able to enjoy the apartment and, you know, just having having a, a good time. But what I will say, I do want to share a story of something that happened to me this weekend because it just made me really upset. So, you know, everything was going great. My weekend was going good. You know, uh, Friday night, it was like a chill night. Um, I, you know, I'm not really into sports, but I, I watched a baseball game with Kiyoshi because that's his thing. And, you know, love languages and whatnot. Quality time is his. So I'm like, all right, we're going to make this work. So we watched a baseball game. And then Saturday, um, we uh, decided to go. I had something for uh, with my coworkers. And then afterwards, we decided to go back to Brooklyn for um, like a small little cookout slash get together. It was so dope. Like, um basically Kiyoshi used to live there and he's still friends with his roommate. So uh, the roommate set up the place really nice. So they have like the small, like concrete backyard and they put like a little piece of AstroTurf. They put some lights, his roommate. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it was just really dope. It was a lot of fun. So usually when we go to parties, me and Kiyoshi, typically we split up, right? We split up just to give um, ourselves space to kind of mingle and, and uh, talk to friends and, and, you know, give us, ourselves some room to enjoy the party separately. So whatever, he went and he did his thing. He was talking to, to his friends. A lot of the people that were there, he uh, were his people from rugby. So they were, they were talking. So I was to the side. I was just drinking, chilling. And I see this guy. Uh, he's by himself. So, you know, me being the friendly person that I am, I start chatting him up and I was like, oh, you know, who do you know? How, how, you know, like, how did you end up here kind of thing? And he told me, and then he's like, what about you? I'm like, oh, I'm actually here with my partner. You know, he's over there, you know, chatting it up, whatever. And, um, and then we were talking for like five more minutes, whatever, fine. And maybe like an hour or two later, I go upstairs, right? And he's sitting on the couch, sit down on the couch. And I'm like, hey bud, what's up? I don't know where it switched in his head where he felt it was appropriate. He, I was standing next to Yoshi. We were having a conversation with someone. He comes up to me, grabs me and is like, yo, can I talk to you? I was like, excuse me. No, what are you doing? What? 
I was like, what are you doing? And Kia's just like, you know him? I'm like, I just met him. I was just, I was being friendly. He was by himself. And it was just, it just reminded me of like, I'm like, I was literally just trying to be like chill, just talking to somebody at a party. Friendly, social, you know, And this man took that as an invitation to be rude and feel like he has some sort of um, inherent access to me. And I'm just like, all right, no. So we ended up leaving, but, but yeah. Oh, wow. That's unfortunate. Did you, so what, so you said no. And then what happened? Kiyoshi just basically told him to back up. Like, this is my girlfriend. Like, I need you to remove yourself from this space. And then he left. Then he I don't burned. know if he was also drunk. I mean, you know, when, when alcohol gets in, people will be acting crazy. So, but other than that, it was such a, it was a good time. We went home and, you know, had a chill Sunday. Y'all traveled to, from Stanford? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, the commute's actually pretty short. So it's like, um, on one, after the Metro and with the subway, it's like an hour 10, hour 15, which is not horrible considering it's another state. Yeah, exactly. And normally, honestly, sometimes train rides from the city into the Brooklyn is like an hour. Right. From Bronx, from the Bronx to Brooklyn. So yeah, exactly. So that's not bad. But what about you, um, friend? What's been going on with you? Well, I just got back from Mexico. Mexico lindo y querido. That's where I was at. Sorry, I was about to get in. You about to get in? You went to my home. That's that's. It was a great time. Um, they're actually pretty precautious over there. Mm-hmm. You have to like sanitize your feet. You have to get your temperature temperature checked. Like anytime you go in, um, you always we had to wear a mask inside the resort, not necessarily outside, but when we were near people. Um, and we had to get tested before going back home. So that's awesome. Yeah, but Mexico was amazing. I stayed at Playa del Carmen. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a pretty cute little spot. Um, last time I went to Mexico, we stayed in Playa del Carmen, but we didn't get a resort this time we did. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. Everything was included, so we came back home to not inclusive, all inclusive food, and having to do everything ourselves, <laughs> which is normal, right? But it was nice to have everything accessible without needing to prepare and just going and getting. I love me um, inclusive, all inclusive resorts, and an adult uh, adults with not too many kids running around is even better. Well, this one wasn't an all, like, it wasn't adults only. It was a family resort, but it wasn't, there weren't too many kids, I guess, considering the fact that they were probably in school. Just in, in, not in all locations. But I've uh, pretty much established that I have this love for bicycling or cycling. Um. It was nice to, so on the resort, you could rent bicycles and it was nice to just wake up early and go for a bike ride, even if it was like 30 minutes and the heat was amazing. It was just, it was just amazing. I did yoga on the beach one day because they had that as an activity. I felt so 
it was like just motivating to be there, even though I did have to work two of the days that I was there. I was going to ask that too. <clears throat> no, I did because I'm a part of this, what's known as a quote unquote collaborative um, at my job where there's a group of people that, that were chosen essentially. And uh, we are working toward making our clinic more anti-racist. You know, how can we essentially change it so that we are anti-racist and we're actively trying to remind people of what that looks like and, and what that means as, as a clinic overall and how we deliver care. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So do you feel that those, do you feel that the trainings were sufficient or if they were just checking off a box? Yeah, so that's um, that's actually a good question. We we talk about that. It's it's not a training to to check off the box. This is actually organizations that have been um, chosen nationwide to work with people who specifically uh, work with agencies around anti racism and implementing policies and procedures and assisting us in, in trying to, to figure out what we can do as an agency with what we have and where we want to go. We had to apply to get the opportunity to be trained and work with the people that we're working with now. Um, so, so I don't, it's so funny because part of the training, they, they talked about like, this is, we have to be careful with like, even um, diversity, inclusion, and equity, and how that is not the same as anti-racist mm-hmm. procedures and policies. So it's so for me that a lot of the information is truth. So in a way, it's not like we're checking off the box. In addition to like speaking to our um, to the person who 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 oversees our whole clinic, it's a priority for her. And she's made that very clear to us. She's very grateful for the fact that we that our group exists and that we need to start doing the work. And, and so that's why we're there. And we're, we're, you know, that group is essentially the start of figuring out how we can make things differently uh, or different within our agency for our employees and for our, our families. Because, you know, I work at a nonprofit mental health clinic. I think that there, there needs to be black and brown people at the table, right, to speak and, uh, well, let's say a marginalized groups to speak and the, the, the groups that a lot of time are, end up being uh, upper class uh, white folks to listen um, or even to have like a space just for black and brown people to, to feel safe and open. And it sounds like your company's trying to or your organization's trying to create that. So I think that's dope. All right. We digress, but you yeah. know, it kind of works that but, you way. Know, when, these, when it comes to these types of conversations, you and me can go back and forth all day. So all day. That's all part, day. part of the reason why we started the podcast. <laughs> so okay, all right. So let's let's move on with that. All right, go ahead. All right. So the next thing is the next segment is our no me digas segment. So basically where we share and discuss all types of stories in the news. And this time we're sharing the story of Lori Lizarraga, Sonia Gutierrez, and Kristen Aguirre. Aguirre, Aguirre, <laughs> Aguirre, 
three Latinx women journalists that worked at Nine News, a news station in Denver, Colorado. Uh, they were all let go by the company and they basically used their experience to bring focus on discrimination that is experienced in the media company in media companies, which many times try to skirt responsibility. Um, and I thought it was really dope because it's actually pretty recent. It was released less than like two, three weeks ago. So I'm just going to read directly from, from the article because I think that, that it... Um, it gives a good insight just the way that it was written. So uh, Gutierrez, which is one of the women we just uh, listed, uh, landed an internship at Denver's Nine News in 2012, where she worked her way up to a full-time job, eventually meeting fellow Latina co-workers Lori Lizarraga and Kristen Aguirre. However, the driving force behind Gutierrez's journalistic pursuits, her family's decision to come to America from Mexico when she was a baby, and a struggle to obtain legal documentation was thrown back in her face by Nine News. She alleged when management told her she could only cover immigration-related stories if she disclosed her residency status in her reporting. An article Lizarraga wrote for Westward, which I'm assuming is, is one of their uh, newspapers um, or some sort of written um, media, Last month, laid out a story, the three Latina reporters who were all let go by Nine News in the past year never imagined telling allegations of discrimination in an industry that prides itself on holding others accountable and their dogged pursuit to tell their increasingly diverse community story in spite of the obstacles in their way. So I look at these three women as my heroes, said Rebecca Aguilar, president-elect of the Society of Professional Journalists and the chair of JPJ's Diversity and Inclusion Committee. We should all be very proud of Lori for coming forward because she has told us the realities of what's going on in that station and the realities of the news business. Uh, we are not supposed to do people harm and what these managers have done to these three women is, women is harm. And um, it goes on kind of to like, tell their story and uh they basically talk about how they kind of use this situation in their life to kind of uh, uh i guess step into their power by telling their story and i think that you know it's it's really dope that they um in a way all three of them kind of uh, confronted their their fear because i understand what it's like to like be afraid to disclose even if you are already let's say a permanent resident right but to disclose like hey you know i did come here when i was undocumented and for a job to try to force you to do that is is fucked up honestly and uh, illegal as hell but it's also i think to i guess shine a positive light on on uh, i guess the positive that came out of this is that they uh, were able to find empowerment in that and were able to share their stories. And as we know, i.e., we're in a podcast, uh, telling stories is powerful. So I just, um, you know, want to shout out their bravery and telling their stories and attempting to bring some sort of accountability in the world of journalism and just being badass Latinas. But yeah, shout out to uh, Lori, Sonia, and Kristen. Shout out to them for paving the way and helping people to feel empowered too because I think when like you said uh, telling stories have power and when we listen to others we feel I think hope right um and so kudos to to them for for sharing their story and just like that so talking about uh stories where our better why this 
week is uh, related to mental health. Um, not sure if we're going to get a chance to release this episode in May, but if we do, May is a mental health awareness month. And so uh, we felt that it would be necessary for us to talk about mental health and um, really just uh, try to normalize discussions around it. And so our better why this week is, well, we have a few questions. Better why is it important to talk about our mental health? Better why don't we talk about mental health? And better how can we normalize discussions around mental health? Mm. And so today we have a special guest with us, someone I luckily enough get to call family. Melissa, welcome to Better Why Podcast. Thank you Thank for being you. here, taking Thank time and sharing space with us. We Thank appreciate you, you wholeheartedly. And so really, if we're ready, then we could get started. Okay. Uh, you guys want to ask me questions or should I just yeah, say? Yeah, so do you um, want to actually... introduce yourself first? Or sure. Yeah, go my, my name is Melissa Hosdan. So I'm actually Siomaya's cousin. So I'm really happy about that. And uh, I am, how do I, I don't know. I'm just like, how do I introduce myself? I don't know. However you identify. No pressure. Born and raised. I'm, I'm a Muslim, Puerto Rican, which is a little odd for a lot of people. But that's what, I, you know, <laughs> that's how I identify <laughs> she says that's lit that's, thank you thank you because a lot of people don't react that way but um yeah intersectionality and, um, is a real thing yes yep. yes yes so and then you know um I also you know I, this I don't really know how to like introduce myself because there's like I would say there's so many things that I can identify with mm -hmm. right so but, but I'm just first and foremost a human being Okay, and Latina, of course, Brooklyn born and raised. And then uh, I have my mental health issues, which I, um, I don't allow them to identify me, but I definitely acknowledge their part in my life, mm. you know, how they take part in my life. And they, they definitely, you know, are, they dictate some of the things that happen to me in my life. So with suicidal ideation, and I also have generalized anxiety disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. So this is what I'm, I'm living with. And I actually am on medication for that. So uh, I have been on medication and been in treatment for that for about 14 years. Mm. But I, I, can, I can go back, way back. Like, and I can remember like, you know, my mental health declining way before that and not being able to speak about it. So I'll start there. I don't know if you guys have any questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, I just want to, before Brenda, we continue, I just want to, um, to all of our listeners, I just want to share that, um, you know, today uh, may be a heavy episode, may not be a heavy episode, but um, yes. if you ever, you know, if you, the beauty of a podcast is you can press pause, right? So if you feel mm -hmm. like yes. you need a minute, press pause and come back later. Um, but just a disclosure that it could uh, be triggering or it could cause emotional responses. And uh, that is, is totally normal um, for 
for us because we are, like Melissa said, human, right? And um, everyone feels something, whether we like to yep. tune in or not. Yep. Exactly. Right. And and yeah, I, I echo what Seal said. Thank you for like taking the time to come on here and, and being Thank vulnerable. You for having me and being willing to to share your story to kind of just help us understand why it is so incredibly important to to normalize uh, speaking about mental health and we're hopeful that uh, Melissa's story will provide for all our listeners will provide some sort of awareness and normalcy for anyone that's listening or or um, maybe struggling um, in silence and so with that I mean you touched a little bit upon a it already but um really the first question we have is when did you become aware that you may be struggling with your mental health um i was nine actually when i started when i first started um struggling with my mental health i remember it very clearly because i was very depressed at nine years old and i knew that there was something wrong i just didn't know how to vocalize that to my parents you know it wasn't an easy thing for me to like and they had their own mental health issues as well and, you know, it's very in, in, you know, in my family in particular, in my home, like nobody really wanted to address that stuff. They, they self-medicate, you know? So for me to say, Hey, you know, there's something wrong. I'm depressed. You know, it wasn't gonna, it, that wasn't going to work for me. So I kind of just left it untreated, you know, and it stood untreated until maybe I was about 15 or 16 years old and, you know, things got worse. And, you know, teenage years always suck, <laughs> you know, it, you, you, especially when you're, you know, kind of like the oddball kid, which I very much was. And so um, my teenage years, you know, I had a lot of uh, suicidal ideation and um, I remember becoming really, really unstable, not being able to move out of my bed. Um, sometimes I would have these outbursts, just like really like out of nowhere, just like start screaming, pull my hair out, stuff like that. And I'm, I'm being very, very clear in what I experienced because I want people to know that it's okay to talk about this kind of stuff. If you don't, then it'll eat away at you. So this is the kind of stuff that I experienced. And I would also, uh, I had issues with, with cutting. I did that a lot. And so finally, you know, my, my, one of my parents noticed, you know, and was like, well, maybe we should take her to, you know, to see someone. So I saw first a doctor, a primary care doctor. And then I saw a therapist, which I, I mean, I didn't even like, I, I saw that ther therapist like maybe once or twice and they were like, yeah, you know, you're depressed. And they wanted to, to the way that they handled it was that they wanted to put me in like a group uh, home setting. Cause I had also dropped out of high school at the time because there was no way in hell I was going to be able to focus on school while I was going through all of that. And um, yeah, well, and it just, nothing, nothing really worked, you know, and I didn't, I didn't also, I was very uncooperative in that, like my family, they were like my, my parent, the parent that sent me to go for therapy was like, Oh yeah, you need this. But at the same time, at the same time was not very encouraging because that parent themselves was going through some mental health issues. So um, then I decided to go back to high school. Um, I thought everything was getting better, you know, and then I went to college and in college, I knew that I wanted to help people with mental health issues. 
So I decided to study human services. And when I did that, in doing that, I worked with a, you know, a lot of people who had a lot of mental health issues. And then when I was 24, I just had a complete breakdown, a complete mental health disaster. I remember my, my, my sense of my, I had no uh, sense of reality. So like I, I like my my mind was gone. I can't explain what that was like in full because half of it I don't remember. Like I I know that I one day I wanted to run into the street and just like I wanted to die. So I I got up, I got dressed, and my intention was to go and run onto the BQE because I live like right next to the BQE. And for some reason. Um, instead of going to, you know, deliberately get hit by a car, which was my plan, um, I went to the hospital and I told them in the hospital, okay, I'm suicidal, <laughs> which was really hard for me to do because, you know, people look at you strange and, and I, you know, it wasn't just, you know, suicidal. I was like, oh, hold, like I was hallucinating. I had like a lot of, a lot of other stuff going on. You know, um, at this point, I was so depressed that my depression had psychotic features. And so there was a part of me that, that was aware of that. And a part of me, it was like almost there were two people in me because part of me was aware of it. And the other part was like, out. Is that what so, would be called like dissociation? Yes. Yeah. So it was a dissociative so, state. That's right. So, but I was, I was aware enough to take myself to the hospital and be like, okay, I, I you know, this is happening to me. Um, I need help. And so like, and I, and like I said, I had run out of the house and it was like three o'clock in the morning. And then um, my, the, when, of course they have to follow, follow protocol. So yeah, I, I went, went to the hospital and then, um, the, it was some crazy stuff, to be honest with you, because when you tell, you know, the people in the front, whatever, okay, I'm, I, this, this is what's happening to me, blah, blah, blah. It's so hard for me to even talk about it. I'm saying, me saying blah, blah, blah is not a good thing because I'm, I'm actually editing what really happened to me at that time, which was, and I got, I can be, I'm going to be straightforward because I really, really want to advocate for people who have mental health issues. And be, the only way that you can deal with this kind of stuff is if you speak about it really and, and get help. This is the only real, like the proper way to go about it. So I, you know, uh, had psychotic features. So I was a harm to myself as well as to others. And I was aware of that. So I said that. And when I said that, I had cops around me. So when I was in the hospital, I had like, there were police around me and stuff like that. And then I, when I went, to, I couldn't even use the restroom by myself. Like, you know, there was a cop that went into the restroom with me. Um, you know, I, I received my first shot of Haldol, which was fun. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> which they also don't even give now, like how doll is, yeah. like, it's not even, this was in yeah. 2007. Yeah. This is, this is like back then. So like, it's not now. There was, I was like, okay, you know, and like, I just remember after, after all of that, I remember being in the hospital very vaguely. And I, 
I, I think three days later was when I was finally clear. Like I was, I, I remember three days later, my mind clearing up and I was in the psychiatric unit in like an art therapy session <laughs> with, I don't know who, cause I was in like a, a group with some other people. But to be very honest with you, once I was awake and aware of where I was, that experience was actually therapeutic because I was around people who were experiencing what I was experiencing. They had been through what I'd been through. So I wasn't, I didn't feel alone. You know, what sucked was the, the outside world. Because once I, you know, I did, me being first Latina, so I have my family, some of my family would come and visit and like, what you doing here? What are you doing here? Like, you don't belong here. And then being part of um, the Muslim community, I also had, issues with people coming up and saying, well, you know, maybe your faith is not strong enough. Maybe you need to pray harder. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, I don't, I never stopped praying. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, and I, I, I just, they were no help at all coming up and telling me stuff like that. Like, if you're going to, you know, you, they came to visit me to tell me that things like that, I just felt like even worse, you know, when they would do that. So I felt more at home with the people in the psychiatric unit unit than I did with my own people you know outside like in the outside world which is not good but that was the reality of it and very um, real yeah yeah um I and I I've been, I was hospitalized I want to say no it was three times so I <sighs> I was hospitalized three times so the, the first, first two times were inpatient. And the third time was outpatient. So I would have to go from eight to five and then go home. The outpatient experience, I have to say, was the best one. And the reason why was because I went to a, a, a clinic. I don't know if it's still there, but it was called the Puerto Rican Family Institute. And being around, and I never even realized that that was an issue, but being around my own people, hmm. being around my own people and being able to talk to my own, like, you know, that was such, like, that was so, like, therapeutic and was so helpful because the people that, the first two hospitalizations, there really weren't, and, you know, people that look like me, <laughs> they did look like me, but they didn't. They, I don't understand. The only thing that, how to explain it, the only thing that we had in common was that we were, you know, having mental health issues. Mm -hmm. I was probably like the only Latina, let alone Latina Muslim, you know, in, in you know, the psych unit. But when I went to the Puerto, Puerto Rican Family Institute, there were more people like me, including Latino Muslim, Puerto Rican Muslim too. That's and I was just like, oh, snap. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was uh, very, very helpful. And that's actually a good segue, um, Melissa, to uh, one of the other questions um, we wanted to ask. And you mentioned this a couple of times that, uh, you know, the, the culture of, of being a, a Latina woman and also being Muslim, that that affected um, the, your recovery or, or your journey um, and that you kind of felt that the outpatient uh, um, therapy with uh, your family and, and um, your people 
yep. is what was most effective. What were some of the things, if you don't mind sharing with us, like that you found, you know, that were the most culturally challenging um, through your journey or in relation to culture? With regard to my mental health, the most challenging thing was to just, I think the first and foremost was just to be able to talk about it out loud. Mm. Just to be able to talk about it out loud because it's like, when, you, when, you're, when you're vocal about something like that out loud, to, specifically to my family members and to like, even to the, to the Muslim community, it's, they don't wanna hear it because maybe they don't wanna identify with it too, because then they'd have to admit to themselves, yeah, you know what, you know, this is something that maybe I have an issue with, or maybe a relative of mine has an issue with and you know, people like to kind of like just pray these kind of things away or just kind of like ignore them and be like, no, 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 you know, that's, that's just, you know, it, it'll pass, you know, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's a mental, it'll go away, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of, that, that's the outlook that, that's held. And it's in both, in both communities, I experienced that. And, uh, it was extremely, yeah, extremely difficult just to talk about it. And it's unfortunately still till this day, extremely difficult to talk about. It. Yeah, that's facts. That's so true, yep. unfortunately. But I think that doing things like this, like having podcasts and having conversations will, will you know, contribute to like normalizing uh, yeah. this, you know? I really hope so. I really, really hope so. Because it's like, uh. I've seen just in like the time, a, a couple of years, you know, and just sp speaking like in the Muslim community, I have seen several suicides. I've had friends that have, I've lost to suicide because they struggled with mental health issues and they weren't able to bring that up to their families, you know, and it's just really, it's, it's heartbreaking. So the only way that you can really make some sort of a change is to speak about it and to have a place where you can, you know, where you feel comfortable. You have to, there needs to be a place that's, that people are allowed to feel comfortable to speak about these things. And there also has to be a sense of, of, you know, courage inside us to be able to speak up, which I think maybe the youth are doing that now. That's we're changing, you know, I don't know if I'm considered youth anymore because I'm almost 40, but that's it. <laughs> but, the, the spirit is young in you. Yeah. I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm making a whole lot of sense, but that's, that's pretty much, you You're know. making perfect sense. I hear that. Makes sense. And then just a reminder that everybody's, uh, even though everyone has their own struggles, they all kind of look different, right? So like it presented yeah. it, it presented itself in the way that it did for you and it could be different or the same for, for someone else. So your story is, is exactly how, how it, it is, right? And it's, yes. um, and it's how you, you choose to share it. Um, yeah. So I think, um, I just want to add, you know, being being Latina or identifying as Latina, and um, you know, being a, being family members with Melissa, yeah. right, and yeah. um, uh, just kind of understanding our family dynamic in um, in that there isn't much, there is this taboo, negative stigma around mental health, Very and how so. what we actually know now to be mental health struggles our family or I think culturally speaking 
it, it's hard for them to recognize that that's actually a problem yeah. or that it we need to take care of it. Not yes. necessarily that, that what we're feeling is a problem, but a lot of, I think maybe some members of, in our family just choose to ignore it. Mm-hmm. ignore it and hold they absolutely it do. They and absolutely do. in holding it they affect or affected our generation yes the way yeah. that the it. way that you see it to be right now right and you so said it. yep when we don't it's hard because it seems like there really is no awareness right so I just want to kind of touch upon this idea that some people are just not aware because of the culture that we're in and it takes these conversations and for us to get together so that we can remind others that some of the things that are cultural or part of our culture are not okay and they hurt us they hurt us and they and they cause they could cause pain right and 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 that just kind of presents itself and in, in manifests in different ways for each and every one of us, right? And so it, it may have manifested for Melissa in the way that it did. It, ma- it manifested for me in a different way. It manifests for some of our other family members in a different way. A different way. But it's, it's very real for us to, to and it, it's kind of like, we also, we have to kind of like struggle with our own stuff but also try to help our parents through the stuff that they are going through because they never knew that they were actually hurting us. And it's like, mom, dad, like we need to, you, like you are a part of this, this, this generational trauma that we're going through is a very real thing. And, and our family specifically just chooses to overlook that and ignore it and, and deal with it and let it manifest in whichever way it does. And with no, in a way, no regard to how that could really affect anyone. It could affect me, it could affect Melissa, it could affect any one of our other cousins. And and so I bring all that up to say that it's okay to call in your family with love mm-hmm. and help them see that we are being hurt by the things that they're doing, maybe unintentionally, because they just don't have the awareness and education and and it takes us and our struggles to kind of realize and help them realize that things could be different and they most of the time should be. And I think a lot of times too, it's also like tools, you know, I think that um, a lot of our, of our, in, in talking about like generational trauma and like our family members inadvertently harming um, us because sometimes they just didn't know better. They didn't yeah. have the tools, they didn't have the knowledge, they didn't have access to the mental health services and the medicine that, that that's needed in order to be able to, to even say, I need help, you know? Yep. Because if, it's, mm-hmm. if, if, if you don't have what you need accessible to you, a lot of times it's like, you don't even ask for it. Because yep. you, sometimes mm-hmm. if I, I'm just gonna pretend I don't need it because I know that it's not available to me. And I still, and, and, and it's unfortunate, but I think that having these conversations will bring attention to, to the importance of mental health and also normalizing. So I think a lot of times we think about physical health, right? And, and I think there's so much placed into, you have to be physically healthy without recognizing the incredible importance 
of our mental health. And mm-hmm. then all of us need to be able to, to have equitable access to be able to, to take care of that part of ourselves. Yep. So, you know. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, yeah, and I mean, Mel, just to kind of transition into talking about just family and, and your journey, right? At any point, did you feel shame for what you were feeling and what you were going through and, and kind oh, of yeah. how did you, how did you manage what Absolutely. you were, you know, that shame and what you were feeling? I'm still managing that now because <laughs> I still, I still do sometimes feel shame because even though, you know, I would say that my parents have come a long way, my siblings have come a long way. And even, you know, the younger generation in our family have come a long way the older folks still don't kind of, they still kind of don't get it, you know? And so they still have all these questions and sometimes comments and stuff that are very, very inflammatory. They hurt. And, or they'll say, they'll say things like, I mean, I don't, I want to be so, I want to be real on here without like, <laughs> without, because I'm pointing fingers. Yes, real and absolutely. Look, I I don't I don't know, um, Brenda, if you know, like you know. So Siomara and I have we had a cousin that we lost, and this cousin was struggling really really hard with mental health, and she came. I know she came to me. She came to me. Um. I don't think that she was taken seriously. Um, I think that <clears throat> the, the, the way that our family dynamic is kind of contributed to her loss. And I think that a lot of us, we feel like we could have been in her shoes too. So like, you know, we, I just, there's still a lot of work to do in our family. There's still a lot of work to do. And it's like people just like, you know, oh, you know, you can get over it or they, they shame you for certain things. Like, why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you, oh, you don't need therapy. You're not crazy. Oh, you know, just snap out of it. Stuff like that. And that's still very much said in our family, either that or it's completely ignored. So, you know, even with something as big as a loss like hers, we still, we still deal with this in our family. We still have our family members saying the same stuff. And it's like, I, it affects me because it affects my process of healing. And I know that it affects my, the family members, my family members, it affects their process of healing too. Cause sometimes then we feel like, you know, okay, well, if you don't get it, well, who the hell else is going to, you know, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm making any sense now if I'm going off on a tangent, but. You're making sense. It's just, uh, I think. And I, I'm, I'm having a hard time looking at my cousin right now because it's like we, our, our family has. We got, we got a lot of mental health stuff. We got a lot of work to do to. Yeah. We, we have, we have work to do a lot. each and other. Like, yeah. She said stuff that I wanted to say and I couldn't. to say the least we probably still feel shame in our family from the conversations that we have and I don't know if it's just the fact 
that people choose not to um, address it. What is it? Address it because I, in a way I feel like many people don't know how. And yeah. unfortunately, when we talk about shame, it's it's definitely something that our, our family could make us feel shameful for yeah. feeling. Yeah. Um, and I mean, how do you manage, how do, how do you manage or navigate that, Melissa, like in our family? Do you feel like you avoid them? Do you I feel do. like... And I feel horribly guilty saying that, but a lot of the time, that is exactly what I do. And it's not just with, I mean, I do that with both sides of my family because both sides of my family kind of have the same thought process. So I kind of just disappear, you know? I disappear and I, I can't function normally <laughs> in like, you know, I can't, I can't go to like family functions and be like, okay, because I'm afraid of the, of the questions, the barrage of questions. And I'm afraid of like, you know, I'm just, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. And it's, it, it's a, it's a trigger for me. It's a big one. Cause then I start thinking to myself, wow, I feel useless. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it, it's a big, hi, it's just a lot. It's a but, lot. I, but I think that you, you also have the right to be, feel validated in removing yourself from, from those types of situations. And I think that that can be hard sometimes when it's family, right? Especially I feel yes. like in the Latino culture, it's like, yo, I ride for my family. Like, like my yeah. family incredibly important. Yep. But I think that's something that we also need to take is that we are allowed to remove ourselves from toxic environments, regardless of who makes up those environments. And, yeah. you know, and I think that sometimes that means like, saying, you know what, I can't make it to this or, yeah. or, or distance, you know, uh, allowing for a little bit of distance in order to be able to, to go through, through the healing process, through our own healing processes. And I think that yeah. that's okay and totally valid as difficult yeah. as it could be. Yeah, it is. It's very difficult because then you feel, you feel shame and guilt around that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Because we're not empowered to protect our peace right we're yes. not exactly exactly it's, it's like a selfish thing to do that exactly I, that's it that's it yep you yep. hit it right on the head girl yeah what did we say last time head and on the on the girl head on the nose i was <laughs> last last uh, episode i was trying to say you hit the what was i trying to say the nail on the, the nail on the head <laughs> you hit the nail on the and the nail on the head and I said something completely different. <laughs> yeah, some shit. I said something, something. It was funny. It, after hearing it, it was kind of funny. I'm like, really? What the hell was I saying? It was all, <laughs> my um, yeah, well, that's what I said. That's okay. <laughs> but you honestly, your those point. are the moments that make it funny, you know? It's just yes. Um, um, yeah, well, we have two more questions Okay. and maybe we talked a little bit about it in the beginning of your story, but, um, how did you embrace your struggles and overcome some of the barriers that you did face if you feel like you've overcame them? And if, if not, then that's totally okay. 
I feel like I'm still a, a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I still have a lot of struggles to overcome. But I've overcome, I think, uh, more so anxiety surrounding like, um, because I, I, I have, you know, generalized anxiety disorder too. I don't know if I, if I said that. Um, but um, I think out of all of the issues that I've dealt with, that's the one that I've been able to kind of work on the most. One of the anxieties that I've had or one of the, the problems that I have would, would be to like, you know, travel by myself, you know, get on a train or like go to the store, stuff like that. I've been able to work on that by telling myself, you know, okay, you know what, this is like, cause my mind would think catastrophically right away. That's the first thing that, that that's, that's why I worried so much is because I would be thinking ahead. Oh, this is going to happen. Well, maybe this is going to happen. Well, maybe this is going to happen, you know? And so I have, I have since learned to keep myself in the present and be like, no, that's not happening now. That's my thoughts. You know, my brain is telling me that that might happen or, you know, but that's not happening now. So I can, I can, you know, deal with, you know, getting on the train, going to the store, stuff like that without having such a big, you know, issue. As for everything else, still a work in progress. Depression is still a big work in progress. That one is like, it's huge. It's, that's a huge work in progress because that one just sometimes just hits you out of nowhere. So, um, but I mean, you know, medication and therapy, <laughs> that's, that's what I do. You know, I take my medication. I see a therapist uh, weekly. You know, and I try my best to be as honest as possible with him. You know, sometimes I don't like tell him everything. <laughs> there are certain things I don't want to share with him, but eventually, you know, I have to because I know that it's better for my health, my mental health, to say, yeah, you know what, this is what's happening to me right now. So that's how I manage, and that's how I'm trying to manage now. I guess I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it does. It does. And honestly, like, I think that um, I think that what you've said uh, resonates with more people than you know, because I know you, you said, does it make sense? Everything you've said has made sense. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. And, and progress is progress now. So kudos to you for, you know, being aware that you still have progress to make but you are aware of the progress you have made and I think that that's important right we have to shed light on that because sometimes we get caught up in in what we haven't done right yeah but um, it's important to note that you're you've done things to try to you know overcome some of the things that you're experiencing and the struggles you face and that's great Thank you for saying that. That actually helps me a lot. <laughs> you guys are helping me a lot. That's so great. Because <laughs> that's part of it, right? Is like we're talking, sharing stories and trying to heal one another and our audience at the same time. Yeah. It, you're just being so honest and like transparent and vulnerable, I know is, is I know, I feel like we keep saying this, but I just, it, it, it's it's the first thing that comes to my mind and I just you know want to uh, shout you out and just say thank you for like coming on and thank you and being thank so you for me. like I think that's so important honesty and 
Um, I guess that kind of uh, brings us to the last question. It didn't even, I, honestly, we've been talking for over an hour. It doesn't even feel that way. Wow, it doesn't. No, right? <laughs> no. But, um, what would you recommend to, I know that we all each have our own journeys and and um, there's no one size fit all, fits all, but what would you recommend to someone who is uh, struggling uh, with their mental health but does not know how to seek support? First thing I would say is, I mean, today, in today's society, we have, you know, we have social media, we have, you know, outlets, but I don't, not, not everybody has that. So mm. I would say, you know, the first thing you want to do is like, you know, you can look up different numbers and I, I, you know, there's like hotlines and things like that, that you can, you know, you can, you can call God forbid, you know, you're feeling suicidal or something like that. There are places where you, that you can, you know, con connect with people. Um, if it's difficult to speak up in your family or in your community, I would say if you have a one friend, if you've got like that one friend, that's like somebody that you can really, really talk to and you can trust them, you might want to tell them how you're feeling because they may understand you, you know, they may be able to be like, okay, you know what? I can help you out. You know, that would be the, the, uh, the second thing. And I think if it's really, really bad and I'm being, I'm being very honest and a lot of people don't want to do this, but if it's really bad to the point where you feel like you're a harm to yourself or, you know, or to anybody else, if you're in that kind of a place and that kind of serious issue, I would say, go to, go to your nearest emergency room, mm -hmm. go to go, seek help right away, right away. And not to be afraid of what, you know, I mean, that's so hard to say, right? Because it's, it's things things are different for different people. Because it's it's scary. It's scary being a person of color. Because you can't be like, oh, don't be afraid. Because you don't know how they're gonna treat you if you yeah. go to like you know. Mm -hmm. So, but you, Lord, <laughs> just just talk to somebody. Just yeah. reach out to someone and let them know that you are struggling. Don't keep it inside. That's the thing that I would say. Don't keep it inside. Try and you know if you if there's somebody that you trust. Speak to that person. I, I, and I really hope that there are people that, because there may be people who can't trust anybody. I, I, there's like, they have, they have no family, no friends, no nothing. That's, that's horrible. But if you, if you can speak to somebody and say, and, and, you know, say things out loud, then just, I would say to do that. Thanks, Melissa. No problem. And anything else that you that you feel that uh, you want to share that maybe we didn't ask or that we you know that anything at all that you want to share um, about your story or experience before we wrap up? I want to give you the space to do that. Um, no, I think I'm good. I mean, there's I could say like you know there's stigma around medication, mm. and that we shouldn't we shouldn't we shouldn't you know be be so uh, hesitant to take medication for for mental health issues because that's i swear to god that stuff helps <laughs> it helps so if if you have the if you are privileged enough to be able to have medication and therapy please take it please please go for that that's uh, that's all i can think of i don't know that's perfect that's a perfect wrap-up thank you you're welcome thanks Melissa, for you know for sharing your story and being here with us. I can't say thank you enough, honestly. You are very welcome. You know, you um, 
there's power and vulnerability and I hope mm -hmm. people will see that but um it's also very hard to be vulnerable yeah um, and I want to acknowledge that and then with that we'll just go right into our woman crush Wednesday of the week so while I was in Mexico I um encountered or discovered a <laughs> yoga instructor her name is Ariana Elizabeth and I found her on YouTube she is a black yoga instructor which was uh kind of important for me because I felt that a lot of the health and wellness uh being depicted I felt was was not really geared toward Latina and black black women and so I wanted to I was eager to find someone that I felt like I could relate to and be interested in actually doing um participating in yoga essentially so when I was in Mexico I found her and her name is like I said Ariana Elizabeth she has a YouTube channel uh, she was born and raised in LA and ATL but currently she resides in the Midwest she's the owner of Bright and Salted Yoga and her dream is to have a physical studio that not only promotes wellness, but also holds a special space to uplift and encourage women of color to become more active and aware of their mental and spiritual well-being. So um, essentially kind of coinciding with the theme of our podcast uh, this week, it would, um, if, if anybody is interested or who, whoever is a yogi <laughs> or not, I think that y'all should look her up because, um, you know, she's just great. Uh, she has amazing stretch videos too. So if you guys need to get more flexible, <laughs> look her up because she, it, her exercises just made me feel amazing. Um, and trust me, you guys won't be disappointed. I might have to look her up honestly because I always struggle with yoga because it looks so relaxing but you know because I'm a big girl sometimes like the, some of the poses are not conducive to the way that I move my body so but I think I'm gonna look her up you know and and, and see um see if she has anything for me here. She has beginners in there and you can definitely um I think she tailors based on like if you have injuries or whatever oh, you feel you can't dope. do All right. so um she's she has instagram youtube so you can look her up any any platform i'm pretty sure she has all of them okay and if you want to donate she has a cash app venmo we can put all that in the in our the description of the episode great um but before we wrap up uh, i know that um i i do want to take a moment to uh acknowledge uh, what's been happening in Palestine and Colombia, um, essentially the state and institutionalized violence. I think that it's also important to name that the U.S. imperialism has allowed for this type of violence to continue via funding, political support, etc. Um, and I do want to mention right now, some of the asks are to spread awareness because both countries are being heavily censored and also to donate to mutual aid initiatives and organizations, which we can put some of that in the description of the episode as well for the folks that are wondering what it is that they can do to support. Um, and just finally, resistance is necessary to create equity and defend human rights, uh, y'all. So uh, let's show solidarity and support to our brothers and sisters in, in Palestine and Colombia. So 
As I said, that wraps everything up for this episode. As always, thank you for joining us for another episode of Better Why Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Better Why with two Ys podcast and like and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All right, y'all, lots of hugs. And thanks again, Melissa, for joining us. Thank bye, you for everyone. having me. Bye, thanks, bye. Prima. Thank See you. us out. Thank you, bye.